This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Hi, Heidi. Uh, October in California. I, you know, it's always a strange time of year in the fall here. Kind of creakly leaves, but um, I love that those leaves, uh, fall leaves in New York. Yeah, so as you know, from living in New York for 30 years, it is gorgeous in New York in the fall. All the leaves are changing. The Central Park looks beautiful. It's a really beautiful time in the city. Of course, we know for some people it's not a beautiful time, right? It's if they've uh, recently had a loss, and we know you're out there and uh, looking for hope, and uh, this is a place where you can find it, right, Hyde? Absolutely, Mom. You're making a really good point. Just because the weather is nice doesn't mean we're doing well. In fact, sometimes soon after a loss, when the weather is nice, it's annoying, and it's an assault to us because, you know what? We want the weather to reflect the way that we're feeling inside. And sometimes it doesn't. Right. So it can be very hard for people, especially if this is anniversary dates or if things are coming up that remind you of the person that you love that you is no longer with you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today is choice points. And I like this idea of the, that you can make a choice about how you decide uh, to respond to different things today. And we'll be talking to one of our favorite people in the whole world, and that's Darcy Sims, Ph.D. Darcy has been a friend for years. She speaks all over the world on grief, loss, hope, and healing, and uh, has been a friend through the Compassionate Friends. And she's a bereaved parent of Big A, and uh, also a grief management specialist and a nationally certified thanatologist. She's pastoral bereavement specialist, psychotherapist, and a hypnotherapist. And she's president and co-founder of Grief Incorporated, a grief counseling business, and director of the American Grief Academy. Wow, Darcy. Hi. Welcome. Hi, Darcy. Ooh, hi. How are you guys? <laughs> We're great. I, Mom, you forgot I'm to, not sure who I am. <laughs> you forgot to add one more thing. I've just heard Darcy described as the Mother Teresa of grief and loss, and that really oh, no, does no. describe her. <laughs> she is such a dynamic person. She's so inspiring, and she's very genuine also. So we're very honored and excited to have her on today. Oh, well, thank you for that title. I'm not sure I want to accept that. I, my favorite title, my favorite title is Big A's Mom. Oh, yeah. Talk about him a little bit, Darcy, for people don't, who don't know about Big A. Well, Ricky um, is our son he, who died 36 years ago of a malignant brain tumor when he was just a little guy. And mm. 36 years ago, we didn't have much medical information about brain tumors, no CAT scans, no MRIs, but we sure didn't have any information about grief. And we had a, a, a mighty battle on our hands, but, but when the battle was done and, and it was all finished, another battle started, and that was the, the world of grief. There were no books, there were no support groups, and boy, talk about being alone and isolated. I didn't think I had any choices. That's the only choice I wanted to make was to jump in the grave, and, you know, they could have shoveled the dirt over me, too. But uh, apparently other people thought differently, and, and they didn't. So I kept getting up every morning and saying, okay, I'm not doing this. And the sun kept coming up every single morning, so eventually you have to say, apparently I am doing this. And that's when the choices begin. Yeah. yeah. Now, you you were in the military, right? And so you'd moved around a bit, too. Right. 
Well, I, I grew up in the military. I married military, and our first child, Allie, was born on Veterans Day, and she eventually became an officer in the Air Force. So um, we're gypsies. We have no home. Um, it's it's not a bad life. I don't clean house. We just move. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but, but it doesn't give us an anchor point anywhere. My, my anchors are, my home is within, within me, not in a, in a certain place. So we did move around a lot. And one of the difficulties of being bereaved and moving is your history doesn't go with you. So every time you meet somebody new, you change duty stations every year, they don't know anything about you. And starting out with, hi, I'm a bereaved parent, or hi, I'm a widow, or hi, I'm a bereaved sibling, isn't always the best opening line for a, for a new friendship to begin. Yeah. How, how, do you, how did you answer that? I mean, uh, I, you know, oftentimes we hear people, the compassionate friends, uh, say, what do I say? What did you say to people about how many kids you had when, they, when you moved around and they ask you? Well, I was I was determined that I, I have two children, and, and one is alive and well and, and nearly 40. Oh, God, I told him that. I shouldn't have said that. And, and then one, one died. Um, but I did once, I did once just say I had one. I, I was making a choice, and I looked at this person's face. I knew they weren't interested in the story. I knew it would hurt them, and I thought, I just can't deal with supporting them right now. So I, I said I just had one, and I will tell you it cost me three months of guilt and an airline ticket to fly to his grave at Fort Logan National Military Cemetery in Denver and apologize to him. So mm. I've never done that again. I have two children. <laughs> You know, when I hear you speak and, and when I talk to bereaved parents, I often hear them um, talk about the fact that they didn't get to say goodbye. And I, I know you have uh, some great comments about that. Well, as a therapist, I have heard that statement more times than any other statement I have ever heard when I'm talking with, with families, with, with anyone who's had someone die. I didn't get to say goodbye. And, and, and Gloria and Heidi, I have to tell you, I was very lucky. I did have the opportunity to do that. Um, the day died in my arms, and, and we were all there, and we knew what was happening. But I made a different choice. Someone said, you know, it's time now, Darcy, to say goodbye. And I don't think I was very pleasant to them. I said, goodbye. <laughs> I'm not through saying hello to this kid. And I kind of asked them, probably not too nicely if I think about it, to 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 depart the scene. So we actually, I think I said, get out. And And I wish I could have been more polite, but I wasn't. I didn't say goodbye. I made a different choice. And I, I truly believe that everyone, if they would really stop and think about it for a minute, would have made the same choice I did. I said, I love you, and thank mm -hmm. you. I was not going to waste his final moments with the word goodbye. Never. It's like, I don't say goodbye ever anyway. I'll say I'll see you again, or, or thanks for the moments together. But I love you are the words that I wanted to echo throughout eternity. Not goodbye. Mm -hmm. that, that has been so healing for me. Because since my brother and cousin died, you know, in a car accident, I felt like I didn't get to say goodbye. But now I have a whole new way of looking at it. Like you said, we wouldn't say goodbye anyway. Mm -mm. We would say I love and you. And I know that for years, for years people said, especially funeral directors say, you know, you, you need to say goodbye. That's what the funeral is. It's time to say goodbye. And I'm going, goodbye to what? I'm not going to mm -hmm. stop loving this person. They're not going to leave my life. No, they're not in the same position. I can't reach out and hug them. But they're still there. I have investment with them. 
you don't stop loving someone just because they died. So why on earth would I waste any breath saying goodbye? I will forever say thank you for being in my life. I love you and, and thank you for the moments we had. There weren't very many, but man, I'm not going to negate those moments. Goodbye is just not a part of my vocabulary. <laughs> And how about forgiveness? Uh, we had Master Charles Cannon on last week and talked a little bit about forgiveness. And, um, you know, he, he said something which really resonated with me, Darcy, and that's uh, forgiveness is like holding, uh, not forgiving is like holding, how did he say it, Heidi, a hot coal in your hand. And yes. Yeah. Grasping a hot coal with the antenna, throwing it, you are the one that gets burned. Wow, absolutely. What a great image. Although I sometimes struggle with the word forgiveness, and, mm. and I, I know that there are moments in my life when, when forgiveness is the farthest thing from my mind. So what, what I have done, because I, I, I love that image of a hot coal in my hand, I don't want to hold on to that. So again, this is another choice point. Can I work my way towards forgiveness, or is the best I could do move whatever that is I'm trying to forgive or need to forgive the person or event or situation, can I move it to neutrality? Can I no longer invest any energy in it? It's mm-hmm. not forgiveness, but it's withdrawing my emotional connection to it and saying literally out loud or in my mind, you or the situation, you are not worth my energy anymore, and I no longer commit any attention to you. And sometimes that's the best I can do. Uh, forgiveness, I, I'm always working on. But I know that there are some situations and people that forgiveness is not going to be a part of my life. So moving them to this neutral space where I don't invest any more energy. I don't hate them. I don't like them. I just don't think about them. They are no longer a part of my life. Sometimes that's what I have to, to settle for. But actually it's been a, a pretty good thing to settle when I couldn't get to forgiveness. You know, when uh, Rick Santorum was, um, you know, in the primaries running for um, uh, to be the Republican candidate for president, one of the criticisms of him I thought was very interesting, particularly in light of your taking Big A home. He took his uh, child who died at the hospital home from the um, hospital, and he's being criticized, you know, and then took it back to the, the mortuary. Uh, they were criticized him for that. They thought that was really weird. Well, having a child die is really weird, Gloria, as you well know. And I think as long as it didn't do any harm to anyone, it didn't lead him to tall building sharp instruments or heavy drugs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've, I've had visitations. I've helped families do visitations at home. We have done backyard burials out on the farm. And I mean, everything is anything that's illegal. It, other people have their own opinions, of course. But I think a family has to be guided by what's going to be meaningful and purposeful to them. And sometimes one of the choices we have to make is to say, I'm trusting my own instinct here. I'm trusting my own gut. And I would appreciate from all of you the gift of tolerance. You don't have to understand what's going on, but maybe he needed to to have his child at home for a few moments. That last trip, that last moment. I've, I've had family members carry their child um, into the funeral home instead of having their funeral director come and pick them up in a hearse. I've, I've also had one funeral director, wonderful, charming friend of mine, who strapped their child into a car seat in the back of the hearse mm-hmm. because he knew he, the family couldn't stand to see the body out on the stretcher. Now, we're no compassionate Oh, yeah. So, so what I'd say to folks out there is if you have done something that other people are saying, are being critical about, the reality is, 
It's okay, right, Darcy? As long as it's legal and it didn't hurt anyone else or you, absolutely. Let your heart be your guide. The head sometimes talks itself out of things. The heart never makes a bad decision. The head sometimes, no, we screw that up. The heart never does. So what do you think the biggest um, roadblock is for people in, in connection with choice points? I mean, where do they, do they get stuck so they can't make a choice? Well, I think people don't know they have choices. I mean, we've had choices ever since, you know, we were born, you know, which some should I suck? You know, who's going to be my best friend? Who should I marry? Who should I follow? How many children? We have had choices all of our lives. We make choices every single day. But then when it comes to death, we just feel totally destroyed, totally shattered. And they said, there are no choices. Well, the first choice is should I keep breathing? And, and that's a choice. That's a conscious choice that we make, especially in the beginning. And then the choices get, you know, a little more practical. And someone says, what funeral home do you want to use? What clothing do you want? Later on, as grief begins to settle into a routine, we have choices. Should I go to a support group? How should I memorialize my loved one? How long should I be grieving? Can I move on, get over it? Do I stay stuck in sadness forever? What does it mean? All of those are choices that we have to make. I think one of the hardest ones, though, is, is it okay to continue living when my loved one is not? We almost feel disloyal. We almost feel as if we're forgetting them. And, and if your loved one ever gave you a single moment of laughter or joy or life, we can do no less than to continue that. But I think that's one of the hardest. I know the first time we had a, a good moment, we, we suffered in guilt for, for days. And I'm like, Dad, how can I be having a good moment when my child will never have another good moment? And, and that's where choices become very difficult. But we're faced with them every single day. And it is our choice. Do we want to stay sad? Do we want to carry bitterness and guilt and hate? Do you want pain first, pain always? Is it all right to have joy again? Those are all choices that we face in our journey. Mm-hmm. So, Darcy, what about those people out there, I know you've heard this a lot, that feel like, you know, the only connection I have to my child or my sibling is the pain. And if I give up the pain, I'm going to give up some of the memories and some of that connection. But, you know, Heidi, what happens is if all we have left is the pain, and I, I hear that a lot. In fact, mm-hmm. I've heard people who almost wear that pain as a badge, you know, a badge of courage, you know, no, I'm, I'm suffering the rest of my life. And I went, oh, my gosh, is that all you have left? Because pain and sorrow and sadness and anger and hate will rob you of the life memories we have. I, I met a woman a couple of weeks ago, and she said, may I show you a picture of my child? I said, oh, of course, I would love to see that. And she had a little photo album in her purse, and she pulled it out, and she had 25 pictures of the car wreck. Where her child had died. Okay, I mean, first thing I saw was, so I assume, oh, is this, uh, yes, my kid was, you know, killed in a car wreck. There were no pictures of her child. They were 25 pictures, different angles of the car wreck. And I said, where's your child? And she said, well, this is, this is him. And I went, no, this is a car wreck. Give me a picture. Tell me what color your child's eyes were. Tell me something that, that he did that made you smile. She had to stop and really sort through her memories, and I thought, no, that's what happens. If, if you only stay connected to the pain, then, then the love will, will fade, the memories will fade, and yes, it hurts at first when we think of their face and their laughter, and we look at their pictures, but it hurts even more to never look at them. Absolutely. Well, 
Darcy, talk a little bit about Grief Incorporated and your website. And you've got so many books you've done. My favorite title is um, Why Are the Casseroles Always Tuna? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my first book, and it, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek. The subtitle is A Lighter Look um, at Grief because literally by count, we had 25 tuna casseroles on the counter about five hours after Big A died. I think tuna <laughs> was on sale at the military commissary. <laughs> And to this day, I can't serve tuna without somebody in my family saying, okay, who died? Tuna casserole for us. That's a death dish. Grief um, Incorporated is, is our company. It's a, it's a grief consulting company, and we provide resources, and training, and education, and support systems for people throughout the world who are grieving the death of someone they love. And uh, most of it is, is online. We have an extensive um, resource library. We're linked with lots of different links. We're, we're linked with you guys, with Open to Hope. And, and we're doing what, what you're trying to do and, and provide resources for people. Mostly because when I went looking, there were no resources. And I swore that if I lived, and that was a big if for a while, that I would do something to change it. And the sun kept coming up every day, so eventually I had to go do, you know, you have to put your money where your mouth is. All right. And then Allie wrote her book. Well, Allie was the very first one. Our daughter was the very first one to write in our family and have it um, published nationally. And she wrote the book, Am I Still a Sister? Because that was her question to me. She came one day and mm. she said, well, well, Mom, I know you're still a mom because I'm around. But am I still <laughs> a sister? I mean, Big A's dead. And I looked at her and, you know, your heart is just breaking. And I went, oh, honey, I, I don't know. My sister's still alive. I think you're going to have to find that out. And I gave her some paper and some crayons. I think she was like seven. And and she worked on it for a while and then put it down. And, and when she was 10, she brought me this stapled manuscript. And she said, here, you have a book published now, so I, I want this one. Am I still a sister? And I said, what do you decide? And she said, you bet I am. You bet <laughs> I will always and forever be a sister. So she became the guiding light for the whole company. That's great. Uh. That's fantastic. Now, now, how do people, uh, what's your URL on the web? It's www.griefinc.com. Griefincorporated.com. All right. So we can find you on the web and find those books. And you're such a fabulous speaker. I will tell you, anybody out there who needs a speaker, <laughs> Darcy is the woman. She is. She oh, will well, bring down thank the house. You so much. You will go through every emotion watching Darcy. You will laugh. You will cry. You will do. You will cover it all. She really captures the whole experience of having someone that you love die, and and finding your way back to hope again. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and, and I think it it is finding your way back to hope because we don't believe hope exists. Someone at our son's funeral said, "Oh, just look for hope." And again, I wasn't very pleasant in my early grief, and I didn't ask <laughs> him. I said, "If I knew what to look for." I would go look for it. And, of course, they had considered it, and I'm sure my mother was mortified, like, oh, my daughter's being rude. And and eventually the second book I wrote was If I Could Just See Hope and what I thought hope was supposed to look like. I thought hope would be when this grief stuff ended, and I kept looking for the day, went, whew, it's gone out of my life, it will not come back. And, and even after 36 years, I, I'm no longer looking for it to end because I know it won't. But I know it has changed and will continue to change. It ebbs and it flows. It gets softer around the edges. I tell grief is simply now a part of my life. And I know it's hard to hear, especially if you're newly bereaved, but it isn't all of my life anymore. 
It's a part of it. It's a significant part of it. But Big A's life is a larger part of my life than his death. Ah, uh, thank you, Darcy. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, and we're looking forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Darcy. Well, thank you guys so much. Enjoy the fall. In Seattle, we just have green all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, Heidi, you know, you know what I like about Darcy, Heidi? Um, I think that she shows the full cycle and how someone's gone from this terrible loss and gone on to start a foundation and speak to everybody. And, you know, it's, it's just a, a very rich life. It's, it's a, a, an inspiration. She is. She, she lives, she talks the talk and she walks the walk. She lives it. And I love her message of celebrating the life and the positive memories because the bottom line, as Darcy, always alludes to, you know what, our children and our siblings are not the way that they died, they're the way that they lived. Their death is a moment in time. It's the way that they lived that we want to embrace and remember forever. Absolutely. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. And uh, tell please tell everyone about the website, visit us on Facebook, and tell them about these uh, radio shows and our wonderful guests. And remember, together we can change the world. I'm Dr. Gloria. <music> been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.